whom we've known for 40 years, live right across the street. And I've always felt um, what a nice, practical, uh, old, probably disused, spiritually, building. And so when Tom told me that, that um, the church had bought this building, I thought, praise the Lord, that's amazing. Repurpose something for God's glory. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, the glory of God. And the question is, what is the glory of God? Number one, and then how do we encounter the glory of God today? And then what has that got to do with the work of the Holy Spirit? So if we want to answer these questions, we have to start by going back into the Old Testament. Now the Hebrew word for glory is kavoth, and the root meaning is a heaviness or a weight, and it came to mean uh, honor or a splendor. And for the most part, in the Old Testament, it's used to apply to God, because who has more weight or substance or splendor than God? And then um, it's the glory of God comes in a physical manifestation. It appears, first of all, in the midst of the cloud and fire, which leads the Israelites through the wilderness. And then it appears on top of Mount Sinai when Moses goes up and meets with God. And, uh, and then after that in the tabernacle, the tent that Moses put up. And uh, in the temple, the glory of God is manifested on certain occasions in a physical sense. And then later on in the Old Testament, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel all witness the glory of God in some way. And of course, the glory of God isn't just a physical manifestation. All through the Old Testament, it is used to refer to the character of God. The psalmist says, let your glory be over all the earth. And he tells us to declare God's glory among the nations. And then Isaiah prophesies of a day when a voice would come crying in the wilderness, which we know as John the Baptist, and in that hour, the glory of the Lord would be revealed. So the glory is an import, of the Lord is an important topic. And um, Isaiah's prophetic reference to John the Baptist leads us right straight into the first chapter of John's Gospel, where it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I believe that when John wrote those words, he was thinking of Moses' encounter with God on Mount Sinai. Why do I say that? Because Moses, of all people, was the man who saw the glory. And Hardly anyone did, but Moses, of all people, was the one who saw the glory. And here, John says, I have seen the glory. So that's unusual. Uh, and what does he mean by that? Um, but then he goes on to describe Jesus in very specific terms. He says, uh, we have seen his glory, glory as, the, uh, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, back on the top of Mount Sinai, God revealed himself to Moses as the one who abounds in love and faithfulness. That's Exodus 34. 
When you translate the Hebrew words for love and faithfulness into the Greek of the New Testament, you get grace and truth. And so John is thinking of Moses going up the mountain, encountering the God of grace and truth and the cloud of glory, the Shekinah cloud of the glory of God on top of the mountain that Moses alone was allowed to witness. And now John says to us, I have seen the same thing. I've seen the same thing. So now this unprecedented encounter of Moses with God on Mount Sinai, in which the whole covenant uh, with Israel was forged, somehow this is being repeated. We've seen the glory, John says, the kavod, the manifest presence of Almighty God, which Moses witnessed, which no one can see and live. But how could John have seen the glory? He wasn't on Mount Sinai. He didn't see any cloud. But no, he says he saw Jesus. So I don't know how anyone could ever argue the Bible doesn't teach the full divinity of Christ. Because right here, John says, I've seen the same thing that Moses saw on Mount Sinai. In the cloud and the thunder and the lightning, the awesome manifestation of God, I've seen it. I've seen the same thing. Uh, Made flesh. And... The amazing thing here is that this God, who was unapproachable on pain of death, remember, you know, the elders of Israel could approach but couldn't even get to the foot of the mountain, and everyone else was terrified and said, Moses, that's fine, you go on up. This God, unapproachable on on pain of death, enveloped in the cloud of glory, now this same glory cloud, so to speak, is walking the streets of Jerusalem. And whereas before you couldn't even touch the mountain, let alone the glory cloud, and live, now the glory of God is reaching out and touching people. Touching even the unclean and the lepers. And John says even more, he says the word dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt, that's a loaded word in the Bible. It goes right back to the Hebrew um, verb which refers to God dwelling in the tabernacle. So what he's saying is, when he says, I've seen the glory, uh, full of grace and truth, so I've seen what Moses saw on Mount Sinai, and then he says the glory dwelt or tabernacled among us. In other words, Jesus' presence on earth is the equivalent of God by his glory dwelling in the tabernacle. And if you turn the Hebrew verb dwell into a noun, you get the word Shekinah, which is the cloud of glory. And now this cloud of glory is walking the streets of Jerusalem. But the strange thing is, the religious people are so blinded, they can't even see it. Back in the days of Moses, you could see it Miles away, Elaine and I were just visiting a church in uh, Alberta, and uh, we drove over to the Rockies, and when you get, oh, somewhere around 40 miles or so um, uh, away from the Rockies, you're just traveling through sort of bush, and it's a little bit rolling, and then all of a sudden, about 40 miles off, 
you see suddenly the horizon, and there they are. And you get a little bit closer and closer and closer, and all of a sudden they just happen. <laughs> they just pop up. Uh, it's extraordinary. Um, so the Jewish people could see that from miles off. But when the glory cloud walked through the streets of Jerusalem, they didn't even know it was there. So summing up so far, John chapter 1 and verse 14, which is what I quoted, is saying three things. Number one, the God who appeared on Mount Sinai has appeared in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Number two, the entire character of God, His mercy and faithfulness, His grace and truth of the God of Mount Sinai are also embodied in the person of Jesus. And number three, the Shekinah glory of God on Mount Sinai is manifest in the person of Jesus, even though it isn't visible. So why couldn't they see the glory? Well, Paul explains that for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where he talks numerous times of the glory of God and uh, compares the glory of the Old Covenant with the glory of the New Covenant. And he talks about the Israelites couldn't gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, and the, but yet the ministry of the Spirit is now even, has even more glory. There was glory in the ministry of condemnation, but in the ministry of righteousness it has far exceeding glory. What, what once had glory, by comparison, has none at all because of the glory that now surpasses it. So, Paul's um, talking about the glory of God in the Old Covenant with Moses and with Jesus. Now, why they couldn't see the glory is also explained there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because he says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, when Moses... Uh, when Moses uh, went into the presence of the glory of God, he removed the veil. When he came out, he put this veil on his face because the glory was so bright that it was blinding everybody who looked at it. So that's what Paul is talking about here. And he's saying this veil is still there. It's separating the Jewish people and particularly their theologians, their learned rabbis and so on, They've got a veil over their eyes in that they couldn't understand the meaning of the law. Their hearts and minds were blinded to everything Moses and the prophets had said about Jesus because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so he's explaining this to them. And um, then he goes on and says that whenever a person enters the presence of the Lord which is whenever a person is saved and encounters Jesus, he says the veil is removed. And in the next sentence is this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So now he's explaining that the God who revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai manifests himself to believers as the Holy Spirit. And I think there's something really neat here. Because at Sinai, the glory of God was manifested as the Father. 
In the streets of Jerusalem, the glory of God is manifested in the Son. But now, in you and me, the glory of God is manifested in the Holy Spirit. So don't tell me the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. It's here and in all sorts of other places in the Bible. And where the glory comes, he says, comes freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the condemnation of the law. Freedom to live life as it was meant to be lived. Freedom to be in fellowship with the living God. The release of the Spirit in you and me is the manifestation of the glory of God. And this is where I'm heading in this message. When the glory of God is released in us, the Holy Spirit fills us, empowers us, and sets us free. Somebody can say amen. Amen. Thank you. Just wanted to check this was a vineyard church. (laughs) Thought it might be Presbyterian or something. Okay. Now, uh, if we understand the empowering of the Spirit only in relation to the gifts of the Spirit, charismatic manifestations and so on, which we believe in, but if that's all that we understand the Holy Spirit to be doing, we've only just scratched the surface of the work of the Spirit. So when the glory of God comes, the purpose of God is far more than just occasional prophecy being given. God's purpose is to recreate us as entirely new people. And that is something to get excited about. It's a process. Yes, of course it's a process. It will never be complete until we see Jesus face to face. We're far from perfect. All those things are true. But how often do we fail to take a hold of the truth of the statement of Scripture that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that in Christ we are new creations. The old person has died. The new person has come. And he goes on, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, uh, unveiled in uh, Greek is a perfect participle. I know that's a heavy anointing on that phrase. Uh, But what it means is that, what it means is that it's permanent. When you enter the presence of God, the veil is removed once and for all. There's no going back. And I think that's uh, an incredibly important thing. When you really know Jesus. If a person uh, truly knows Jesus and has encountered him in salvation, you'll never go back. Once you enter the glory, you can't leave it. It has a way of following you around. Even sometimes people that wander away, they come back if the seed of the word is there. Why is that? Because Jesus said, I won't leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, the good shepherd keeps his sheep. There's lots of people who have a minimal encounter or an encounter of some sort, but they never truly cross that boundary of salvation and enter the glory. If you've entered the glory, you won't leave it. It may dim for a while, but it'll come back. But here's the difference between Moses and Christians. Moses, according to Exodus, says um, that 
he, it says that Moses went into the presence of the Lord, he took the veil off till he left the tent, and then when he left the tent, he put it back on again. But Paul says whenever any Christian believer, he says, we all with unveiled face, whenever anyone enters the presence of the Lord, we behold the glory of God, and the veil is removed. Uh, But then he goes on to say in the next phrase, we all, so all of us can experience the glory of the Lord. Lord, It's not just, you know, the worship leader on the platform or whatever. It's or some extraordinary incident you hear of somebody having a miracle. It's no, it's we all enter the presence of the Lord with unveiled face. The the veil is, is gone. We're in now. But it says we are, we are described as beholding the glory of the Lord. Well, unveiled, that was perfect participle. That's something once and for all done in the past, but with present effect. Beholding is a present participle. And that's significant because it's something that we do every day. You enter God's presence for the first time once. You're saved once. But that introduces you to a journey. We are now on a journey daily which consists of beholding the Lord. And the picture here is of somebody looking at an image in a mirror. And for ancient writers, the mirror gave clarity. Sometimes it's a clarity you don't necessarily want to see when you get up in the morning. But it's a clarity. And so um, beholding is a continuous activity You enter the glory once, but every day is an opportunity to behold Jesus. And so we're on a journey further and further into the glory, further and further into the Spirit, further and further into freedom, into a transformed life. That's the journey that we're on. Don't measure yourself against where somebody else is at on that journey. Uh, Just look at uh, where you are. Am I further ahead than I was last year or the year before. If you're heading in the right direction, that's a good thing. We're on a journey. The more, you, the more that you behold Christ, the more clarity you will get about God. Because the mirror speaks of clarity, but Christ is the mirror. The more we behold Christ, the more clarity you get about God. The more clarity you get about your own life, the more clarity you get about what's going on in the world around you. We live in a very confused world. We live in a very fearful world. A.W. Tozer said, a fearful world needs a fearless church. And he could have said, a confused world needs a church that has a grip on truth. And the devil would like nothing more than to blur the boundaries of truth so that we don't have a grasp on that. As we think about Christ, as we pray to Christ, as we read about Christ in the Bible, as our lives become more and more focused on Christ, our understanding increases. Our knowledge of Him increases. Our experience of the glory and of the Spirit grows stronger and stronger. And here's the result. He says, we are being, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
So the glory of God, as I had to give the whole background to it, because the glory of God starts in this thundercloud on Mount Sinai, that's so awesome, and then the glory is found walking the streets of Jerusalem in the person of Jesus, but now the glory has come to us. The glory is within us, in fact, he says. That's, that's extraordinary. Did you ever think about that? That you contain the same glory that appeared on Mount Sinai, the same glory that was within the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't contain it to the same measure or the same perfection or purity that Jesus contained it or God the Father contained it, but you, you contain the same substance of the glory of God within you. And as we behold Christ, we are being transformed. Being transformed, there's that daily journey. You don't turn into a superhero on the outside. Uh, the older we get, uh, the more we run down. But on the inside, it's different. We're being transformed. Paul said, says it himself, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And our lives are being changed to look more like Jesus. And that ultimately, to me, biblically, is what it means to be filled with the Spirit and to behold the glory of the Lord, that I begin to look more like Jesus. And hopefully, when people look at me, they can see something of Jesus in me. Now, remember what John told us back in John 1. He says he saw the glory in Jesus. But think for a moment on something. Where was the greatest manifestation of the glory of God in the life of Jesus Christ on this earth? Well, it was when he hung for our sins on that cross and brought bought us the freedom that we now enter into by the Spirit. So, we can go looking for the glory of God in a, a visible manifestation, in a cloud of glory. I'd be very happy if the Shekinah glory cloud came down on me right now. I could finish my message a couple minutes early. That's great. Uh, but really... The glory that God's looking for is the glory of Christ in our inner man and inner woman. That's where the glory resides. That's the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ. As we beget, it's when we begin to look like Jesus and the glory is manifest, guess what, in us the same way it was in Him. When we take up our cross and follow Him. When we lay down our lives for those around us. When we receive God's love, as my friend John Arnott wrote on the wall of his church back 25 years ago, to receive God's love and give it away. That's the glory. So, to me the incredible fact is that the glory of God that appeared on Mount Sinai the glory of God that appeared in the tabernacle, the glory of God that was manifest in Jesus, the glory resides now in you and in me as men and women who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you a story uh, that illustrates this. Um, I've traveled to India a couple times, and I had a, 
an apostolic friend there, a man who was truly apostolic. He moved in signs and wonders. He planted hundreds of churches. His name was John Babu. And uh, John uh, sent uh, a young man into one of the Hindu-dominated villages to plant a church. And, and so this young man, very inexperienced, I mean, I taught in their Bible college, they're just, you know, young men and women, 18, 19 years old, and they're turned around and sent out to plant churches and so on. And so here was this young guy in this village preaching the gospel and obviously hated by the militant uh, Hindu folk. And uh, a high caste uh, Brahmin lady died. And uh, the uh, priest cast omens for when she would be cremated, so it was I don't know, some hours later, uh, and her body was placed on the funeral pyre, and as it was about to be lit, the Hindu priest said, to, the whole village has gathered, it's a very prominent person, the Hindu priest said, those Christians say they have a God who raises the dead. Bring that man here, and let's just see what he can do. So this poor young kid was uh, uh, brought in before the whole group of people, and uh, you know I, I I never met I never met him myself, but I I can imagine that um, he probably uh, had some knocking knees and might might have had just a sliver of doubt. Uh, going on and and wondering, you know, what the heck was going to happen to him at the end of all this. Uh, but what he did was he raised his hands over the dead body, and the lady was dead. I mean, it was 40-degree heat, and she'd been dead for a while. She was dead. He raised his hands uh, over the dead woman's body, and he called out on the name of the Lord. And the woman was resurrected from the dead. But the most amazing thing was the story she told. By the way, what happened was, of course, you can imagine, he gave a quick altar call, and uh, about half of the crowd got saved, and the other half fled in terror. So uh, they asked this lady, what happened to you? And she said, well, she said, uh, there was darkness around me, and out of the darkness, a man came in uh, brilliantly white, shining, blindingly light, shining clothes. And uh, I looked up, and his hands were uh, over me, and both of them were bleeding. And she said, then, uh, my eyes opened, and it, that man had gone, but this man was standing over me in exactly the same place, but there was nothing wrong with his hands. Now, uh, they put out a contract in that lady, uh, because so many people in subsequent weeks were coming to Christ, but she said to them, uh, she said, well, I already died once. 
I'm not really not afraid of anything you might do to me. But that story was one of the most profound illustrations of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that I have ever heard in my life. And so the glory of God is in us. Back in the old days, only one man, once a year, could enter the glory. Now, the presence of God is released in the earth wherever men and women encounter the gospel of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Ghost. You may not look like it, you may not feel like it, I can guarantee you that young man in Andhra Pradesh in India that day did not feel like a one-man mobile tabernacle of the Holy Ghost until after the woman got raised from the dead. Then he started his TV ministry. No, he didn't. <laughs> uh, and so I have, uh, you know, during my lifetime had the privilege of seeing a number of visitations of God or of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was saved in the latter days of the Jesus movement. Millions of people came to Christ. Those were amazing times when there was such an openness. I would go into department stores and I would measure the, you know, the length of, uh, I would get in an escalator and the person couldn't get off. The person standing right behind me um, was stuck until we got to the next floor. So how many seconds would that take before I could um, explain the plan of salvation to them? Um, I do the same thing on public transit. We're on the underground in Toronto. I, I got, well, they couldn't get off until the next station. They're stuck beside me. And I would be able to share Christ with them. And it was just those kind of, there was just an openness at that time. Millions of people, certainly in North America, came to Christ. And, uh, uh, and then um, when I came to England, Robert and I started a, a prayer meeting uh, at Durham University. We had 100 young people at 7 o'clock every morning praying. And, I mean, to get me up at 7 o'clock in the mornings, my wife would testify, that was a miraculous um, akin to a resurrection itself. But to get 100 young people every morning for a year praying, and out of that, miracles started to happen. Conversions started to happen. Um, the prophetic was released, and we planted a church. And that church has planted churches in different parts of northeastern England and in other countries, and thousands of people have come to Christ over the years as a result of it. Because the Holy Spirit began to move in ordinary people. Nobody was special. Uh, in ni 1994, my sister-in-law called me up and said, Look, um, something unusual is happening down in, at, uh, in Mississauga at John Arnott's Vineyard Church. And uh, uh, people are, are being carried out of the meetings. And, and you know, I, I said, uh, but then I, something in me, I thought, I think this is God. And so we went. And it was God. And Elaine and I um, joined the ministry team. We used to go down when conferences were on. We'd pray for people till 1 o'clock in the morning. 
and then drive two hours home. Uh, and I mean, one night there was a uh, 747 full of Korean pastors landed at the airport and came right to church. That's what everybody did. It was the number one, that church was the number one tourist attraction in the city of Toronto, really. And uh, the Koreans, we, they couldn't speak English. We just prayed over them. And I, I'm thinking, you know, I could be praying over people that are leading churches of 50,000 people. And one of them said the next night, they saw angels over us as we were praying for them. I wish I'd looked up. And uh, but even in between those mountaintop experiences I mean another one was back as a young man I wound up in twice in Catherine Kuhlman's healing services one in Chicago and one in London, Ontario and I can still close my eyes and hear the music and the people being healed, the miracles happening. Just extraordinary. Wheelchairs being emptied, a whole row of them. That's the glory of God. That fires me up. I hope that doesn't make me some kind of charismatic weirdo. But if it does, so be it. I also hold several degrees in theology, so that keeps me grounded. Somehow... I have a passion for the marriage of the Word and the Spirit. Because I think if the Word and the Spirit meet, that is an explosive combination. But I want to see the glory of God manifest. And although that can happen in extraordinary circumstances... I think this is about the point I'm supposed to invite the band for to create an atmosphere in the background in case I haven't succeeded in doing that. But let me tell you this, that we are created to bring the glory wherever we go. And we want to see God do something, don't we? This being a vineyard church, I better... Before I finish, quote John Wimber at least once. Now, I heard John Wimber speak in Toronto during that season. And he, he gave the most extraordinary interpretation of that verse at the end of 1 Corinthians 14. Let everything be done decently and in order. And he said, we read it this way in the church generally. Let everything be done decently and in order. And he said, I don't think... Paul wrote it that way. I think Paul wrote it this way. Let everything be done decently and in order. In that moment, that's why John Wimber was so greatly used by God around the world. He had a revelation that we've got to get off our backsides and allow the glory of God to use us. Just ordinary people. You don't have to be a person, big-name personality to be used by God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that God likes to use nobodies. God can do a lot with a little, but He can do everything with nothing. So I'm a nothing. The man in India was a nothing. 
Most revivals have started with young people who were nothing. There was a shoe salesman in Chicago, and he took in the street kids and taught them Bible verses um, at the end of the day. And uh, one of those young kids was D.L. Moody. And Moody became a mighty evangelist and led uh, others to Christ. And they led others to Christ and others to Christ. And one day, one of those descendants of Moody uh, led Billy Graham to Christ. And Billy Graham came to London in the 1950s and led a young man, or under his ministry, a young man called Tony Tyndale came to Christ. And in 1972, at the campus of the University of Toronto, Tony Tyndale explained the gospel to me for the first time. So I have a great debt to a shoe salesman in Chicago who lived in the 1860s. I couldn't even tell you his name. He wasn't anything, but the glory of God was at work within him. Who, who are you to say that God can't use you? So to the, the, you are ambassadors of Christ. You can reach people that nobody else can reach. Each of us, that statement is true for. And the glory of God can shine through the pastor of this church when the pastor of this church is not in the situation of your neighborhood, your place of work, employment, college, whatever that you're in. You're the one that God is going to use and shine His glory through. You are created to bring the glory wherever you go. The glory begins in transformed lives and spills out into a whole wonderful kaleidoscope of the work of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders and miracles. The greatest miracle being somebody coming to Christ. The Word of God and the Spirit of God mesh together seamlessly in the manifestation of the glory of God among His people. And as you and I become more like Jesus, beholding Him on that journey, that glory will increase. And one day it will translate you and me in the twinkling of an eye into a glorious resurrection body like that of Jesus Himself. Until that day, saints... Behold Him. Follow Him. Take up your cross. Walk in His love. And give it away. And know this. If you do it, the glory will come. Amen.